Episode 55 at Winning at Work with Jonathan Netsky. This episode is brought to you by Join Us Search. Join Us Search is a food and beverage retained only national food and beverage recruiting company, and they specialize in identifying and placing sales, marketing, innovation, and operational professionals and executives. So if you're in the food and beverage space and you're looking to establish a, a new partnership with a, a national firm, join a search is where you want to turn. Now let's talk about Jonathan Netsky and what you're going to learn about him today and about the plant-based food association, not just association, the industry. Jonathan has got a very interesting background, comes out of University of Iowa with a bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering. That's right. You heard that right. He didn't come out of food or wasn't a food scientist. But what he did, he took his passion for growing food and for finding this sustainable system. And he took what his engineering career had given him around product development, lean manufacturing, technical marketing. He got into international business development experience. Well, he moves to Flagstaff, Arizona and he ends up solving a problem that a local restaurant was having. And he created this really delicious veggie burger. And it was for a chain. And then it just expanded from there. Now, as an entrepreneur, he has encountered many challenges as he expands this business nationally. And he is doing so. But there are some very unique properties of his business and of any plant-based food organization that is adhering to sustainability, freshness, rather than trying to crank out high volume in a commercial setting and pumping it into the existing supply chain, which is really set up for that type of business. So you have this convergence of People want transparency. People want sustainability. They want small batch. But the system is set up for something completely different. How do you live? How do you operate? How do you grow a company when you're kind of fighting against this giant machine that's already in place? Well, Jonathan's going to tell you how he's doing it and how other plant-based food or other sustainability type businesses can thrive in this space. Stay tuned. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with Jonathan Netsky. Thank you so much for joining us. Plant-based food is just, it's, it's just on fire right now, isn't it? It is, it is. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to, to talk with you and, and uh, get my mind rolling on some of the provoking questions that you're known for. <laughs> well, um, Thank you for that. And, you know, as this uh, food service or food and beverage podcast continues to gather steam across the country, this is a very, very important topic. Just, you know, what are the challenges? What are the trends that are going on in plant-based foods? But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company? Because you've got a really, really unique platform here at uh, NextVeg. And, you know, tell us a little bit about the company, kind of what you're known for, and maybe a little bit of your backstory, too, because I think it was kind of an interesting way that you, you know, you kind of found your passion for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the, my, my business is called Local Alternative Foods. And our product lines go uh, that our house brand product lines are called Next Veg. Uh, reality for us was that I, you know, am a mechanical engineer with a with a background in technical marketing and sales, and I really had a, always had a lifelong passion to really be working in food uh, to a great extent. Um, that passion to work in food had come from you know seeing the the power and the impact that. Uh, changing someone's diet can have on them, you know, personally and in, in a lifelong way. And I, you know, really carried that into an uh, opportunity in my own life to transition my profession and move from that engineering world into, uh, as they say, you know, as the entrepreneur jumps off the cliff and, you know, I moved close enough to the Grand Canyon that I had to be careful because there were a lot of cliffs available. Because you literally <laughs> um, are near the Grand Canyon. 
We're about 70 miles from the Grand Canyon, and my passion drove me to a place where, you know, people live and vacation every day as opposed to the lifestyle I was in of working all year long to take a vacation. And, you know, my values in local food and really local commerce and and the extraordinary added value that comes to communities through local commerce drove us into uh, what became a local food catering in the, uh, business here in Flagstaff, Arizona, that became known for having a food system exclusively of Arizona-grown um, meats, cheeses, uh, produce, fruits, and the ability to network that food system from the farms to the consumers that needed it, whether we were adding value to it, catering, or you know, passing it through to somebody else who might process it. I have seen it firsthand what you're describing about how changing someone's diet can definitely impact their life in a meaningful way. And I know you experienced that as well. And that was a big part of what kind of kind of opened your eyes to this uh, you know, platform of just eating better. I know there's lots of diets out there. I know my wife was on um, Whole30 and that's, you know, all just, you know, whole natural foods. And it, it just, you just clean out all the, the crap that, you know, is in all this processed food. And when I did a little research before, you know, we jumped on this uh, episode here, we're looking at about $16.5 billion in revenue in 2020 for plant-based foods. And it's projected that by 2025, we're going to have over 40 billion in sales. That's, that's staggering, isn't it? You know, it is, but you know, there's, there's an incredible amount of energy behind it and it's generational energy. So it's like a head of steam built on generations that are coming into earning income and spending that income on the decisions that they've made. And those decisions may be very generationally different. And so I believe that those numbers um, um, are, are, are certainly possible. But if you go and read the next analyst study, you're going to get different numbers, right? Yeah. Because they're all projections. And so the, the key is that there's extreme growth and there's extreme opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And you being the CEO at the head of Local Alternative Foods, I thought this would just be a great time for us to talk about, you know, what are the challenges facing an entrepreneur in a plant-based uh, system, as well as, you know, some of your wins and your victories. And, you know, I'd love to, as we get more into the podcast here, a little bit more about some of your brands and, um, you know, kind of what you're, you know, what you find is is really hot, what's really selling for you. So, Let's just start with, you know, trends in the food space in general. What are you seeing right now? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a great question and trends in the food space that we're seeing, um, you know, I've been in the local food movement for, um, you know, the better part of two decades and in different parts of the country and the world. And I've actually never seen the kind of energy around local food that's taking place right now. And when I say energy, um, big national companies are contacting um, you know, us directly and saying, can you give us this with a local food essence? Can you give us this with a local food essence? And these are like you know, convenience store delivery systems um, to, to restaurant chains, et cetera. And so there's an incredible essence, I think, coming out of the, the, the pandemic, um, looking towards this word local that's after, you know, well over a decade of it being a significant marketing term, it's now become analogous with transparent, uh, you know, food transparency or food trans integrity. You know, if it's local, I know where it comes from and I know what that food is and it has a sense that it's secure to me and it's safe and it's health giving and it's life giving. Um, and it benefits my community or my, or someone I know that's part of that system. Um, you know, that, that's taken on a, a morphism to almost what you said your wife was participating in a whole 30 diet. How different is the notion of buying local food to some people from the idea of simply buying whole food, going back to that idea that I got something that I can tell came from a source. I didn't get something that was, you know, smashed up, mixed up, processed with chemicals and turned into something that I can't recognize the original food anymore. So that whole food diet to some degree has become a booming sensation and trend and premised in so many different uh, aspects of our language and the lexicon around it that, um, you know, that's what we're really seeing going into 2021 above and beyond anything else. 
You know, you go to these local farmers markets and you see all the local growers and the the small businesses that have been tinkering around with either their farms or ideas that they have in their kitchen. But you've taken it to another level. I mean, interestingly, with your background in um, with engineering to go into food, tell us, you know, some of the challenges and some of the wins that you've had as you've, you know, you kind of transitioned your passion into some great products to now getting more national recognition. And of course, your distribution is starting to um, expand along with that. Yes. The, you know, that's the, the, the challenges. I think that there's, I think there's challenges that come along with being an entrepreneur that, you know, everybody that's kind of walked down that path can, can relate to uh, most people run into similar challenges at certain growth stages. You know, I can add to that a level of complexity that we're doing this from one of the rem- most remote places in the country. You know, some people might position us between, um, you know, two deserts, <laughs> essentially, in the Sonoran and the Mojave, and we're on a mountaintop somewhere in between. It's a, it's a really remote place without an incredibly rich agricultural scene. Putting that aside, growth and working in the food system is is really complicated. You know, we work with food service clients predominantly as opposed to retail, and the opportunity to figure out who are the right clients that are well aligned from a, a food and culinary perspective, but also there's actually an opportunity where you can make that deal happen because there's distribution alignment. So, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we've seen over the years and and feel like we've really overcome at this point in time, putting, you know, that sort of recipe together, have have we, have we, we cracked the code on it became that we were putting this whole food essence product into a marketplace and distribution system that didn't understand, not only didn't understand whole food plant-based, but didn't even understand plant-based when we started the conversation. You know, uh, a Boca burger was what was on everybody's menu. A lot, you know, the, an Amy's burger, uh, uh, those were the, the products that were really out there versus the incredible wave of energy, uh, money, energy, and products that have come into the plant-based market that lead to the numbers that you just presented and the, the, the CAGRs that, you know, you're talking about. The beauty of where we're at today is that I think there's a there's a real acknowledgement that an, a p- trending to a plant-based economy from an animal-based economy, especially within our food system, but never forgetting the byproducts that, that flow from, from our food system, uh, is at the heart of the greatest argument out there to say we have a sustainability challenge on earth. Um, we have a, an inability to say, are we going to to, you know, and I, I'm not getting into dissertation on the challenges with our food system, but is it going to get too hot? Is it going to get too dry? We're worried about these things. Future generations are worried about them to an even greater extent and have a greater, well, potential knowledge base. How do we go from comparing animals and plants to actually comparing what is a path to sustainability and what is not? an actual path to sustainability might just be better than something else. Yeah, it's a huge trend. It's a huge trend. People are cons- very concerned about future generations. And if you do any kind of research about what it takes to raise plant um, animal-based protein versus, you know, these substitutes, I mean, it's, it's hands down. It's much more efficient. Right it, for it the and so do we need to have that conversation further or is it definitive? I think the conversation that we're really the, 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 the that we're missing out on is whether or not we should be focused on the idea of simply doing better, or if we should be you know doing less harm than something else, or should we be focused on the reality of the greatest good? And I'm just not sure that the focus out there today is on that greatest good versus doing less harm than an animal in the plant-based space. And I believe that's why the trend to local and whole food and otherwise is starting to come on so strong because it's so incredibly evident that the less you process 
a food item from the time it comes off of a farm to the time you get to consume it, the less embodied energy it has, the less carbon footprint, the less <laughs> every, every other aspect, the more genuine quality nutrition it has in it, right? The fresher it is. And so I think this is all leading to the same, that same trend in whole food. Yeah, this is the um, this is definitely the the trend, and I think you know as we discussed before we got on uh, kind of live here today, we talked about one of your your superpowers, and that was really this ability to kind of understand you know what is pleasing to customers, and I think that is also one of the trends, right? Is just you know getting the the right food in front of the right people at, at the right time because you can have these great alternatives, but if it's not you know, what the, if, if it doesn't fit on the menu, you know, uh, you're not going to drive sales. You know, the, the, the plant-based menu strategy has really become the, the essence of what local alternative foods is, has focused on. It, it's no longer about any specific product. Um, we've seen that strategy out there and we see it only has a certain amount of shelf life to it. What really matters is when you as a restaurateur, as, a, as, as an owner, or as, a, as an executive chef, as the person responsible for the menu, when you find a menu item that people love, that sticks, that, that, that becomes a predictable element in your profitability for your food service, that's what they're after. And we are now just seeing so clearly how to do that, that not only are we in a position to, to look at a menu and you know, we have a, a local restaurant here in Flagstaff, uh, great, it's been on Triple D called the uh, um, Brandy's Bakery and Cafe, they've been a client for years and they, they had a, a single item where they would just have a burger patty and they'd make our next veg into a next veg burger on their menu. But they have a big menu of salads and omelets and they're really known for their Benedicts. And all of a sudden they started ordering triple the amount of product on a regular basis just a few weeks, uh, I'm sorry, a few months ago. And I checked in and said, hey, what's going on? He goes, oh, we changed the menu. We added a couple items as you guys have been talking about and we're just selling, you know, we got three items. We're selling three times as much product now. And so, um, you know, from, from simple opportunities like that that are really easy to see when you're watching the plant-based market every day, but a lot of times our, our, our clients aren't watching it as closely because it still doesn't represent the majority of their, of their menu unless they're, you know, in a spe special niche. Right. It, it led us down that path of, well, what are the next products that people need? And so aside from the the plant-based to whole food proteins that we've been making in, in multiple different bases and product lines for years. We're adding now whole food plant-based uh, cheesy and nacho sauces, 100% dehydrated vegetables and fruits. And in the restaurant world, they add some hot water or they boil down the beer at the brewery and make beer cheese out of it. And, and people are really seeing how this complements a menu strategy because whether it be a, a double cheeseburger that they can now put on the menu, which is dairy-free and allergen-free and everything else and is plant-based, or it's an upsell, you know, uh, pretzels with the beer cheese. Um, it, it's really, we're seeing how plant-based strategies continues to evolve down all the other avenues that are available to generate revenue on a menu. I know this is probably, it might not be real easy to answer, but I, I'd be kind of curious to know, just in terms of profitability of a, of a plant-based item on a menu versus a traditional protein based um I, I assume they're they're are they similar or is there higher profitability with with plant-based you know that, that that's that's going to be a product specific very very much so because if you look you can still get um you know a product that is based on uh, protein isolates and 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 wheat gluten and you know a, a kind of the veggie burger from the past for you know uh, a fraction of the price of what you might pay for a top shelf product like we make yet if you look at the the, the products that are out there that have gone you know very quickly into massive um, distribution and with that massive expense in their infrastructure for marketing and everything else those products are you know significantly more than our product but if you take a different lens and you say, well, is the plant-based stuff more expensive than the meat-based alternative? Um, again, entirely product-based. At the low end, those veggie burgers were designed to meet that same price point, to fit on the bun at the same profitability. We're seeing a trend where these really expensive items, they're coming in sometimes four times the cost of beef for a beef analog. 
And is the profitability there? Well, that's going to, again, depend on menu strategy and what you're willing to do in terms of raising your prices to accommodate it. Now, we've also seen the market for those things starting to come down, but there's an incredible wall of an inflation hitting us. These are all oil-based products, and the crush seed market, I just saw this morning, is, going, is, 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 is doing incredibly well, which means the price of those oils is going to go up with inflation as well here. Yeah, it, I imagine pricing anything on a menu has so many different variables. So I figured that was the situation there. It all just depends. Yeah, it does. It does depend greatly. And um, I think that the, the key for for us as a, as, a, as a menu strategist that make products to support it and are in a position to make to, to customize those products to, to culinary profiles or to, to even to price points as we've done to, you know, make products for university dining environments where they're on a very fixed cost. They want the benefits of a, of a whole food plant-based product because it's an everyone can eat it product, you know, no allergens, no hard to understand ingredients, but they need it at an extremely low price point to meet the swipe of a card um, for those meal plans. And so being able to, to, to fit into the price point or the culinary profile, or sometimes even just the form factors critical to go to a hoagie versus, you know, a round bun. It really makes a huge difference for our clients to be um, able to provide them specifically what they need to drive their menu within the scope of how their menu is profitable, right? You don't want to be the anomaly on the menu that makes them behave differently. And so that's where we really find the key to, to, to helping them with their strategy. Well, you talk about strategy and I'm curious. So if you're an entrepreneur and you want to get into this line of business, this plant-based food do you start with the food in mind or do you start with where are the gaps on the menu and then go and create the food to fit that? It seems like it's a chicken or the egg. Which, which direction do you go? You know, as an entrepreneur in the food system, I can't tell you how many times a day we have to discuss chickens and eggs. A lot of plant-based <laughs> business, right? I mean, the chicken right. and egg reality is, is ever present. Uh, you know, we're at a growth stage right now that puts us in a position to say, you know, the clients that want our product want to see us in a bigger facility. Okay, well, how do we bridge the gap to get there, right? And um, these become uh, potentially complex problems. So if you're going to look to get into this space, we get calls regularly as a, as a contract manufacturer and otherwise. I think there's really two, there's, there's a fundamental that I would recommend um, having lived through uh, the trials, tribulations, challenges, some successes, understand when you're going into the marketplace what the distribution methods are to get to the clients that you want to get to. And if you believe in the existing food system and want to participate in it and, 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 and add your volume into it, then find the right people to partner to align with and, and, and see if you can make that distribution connection happen because those are the clients that you're going to be serving. And if you've made the right product for those clients or not, it's going to, that, that would you know, put you in a situation where you say, okay, well, I've made the product. Do I need to find the clients for this product? Because food distribution is so different than direct distribution, um, there's so many layers to it, it really is the essence of figuring out how to move it forward. And so I would say that that would be your best place to start. Well, you talked about distribution methods. So because you are a local, you know, an alternative type of food, is your distribution method different than the traditional? You know, it is. It is. At the scale that we've been at, we've grown through, you know, very small, small scale to, you know, approaching to be less of a small scale business. And, you know, the reality is we're in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, considered high mountain desert. There's a two-hour distance to a major economy in Phoenix for us, and there's a three-plus-hour distance to a major economy in Vegas. Otherwise, there's no real economies around us. So distribution, while we you know, are, have the greatest footprint for a veggie burger in a place like Flagstaff, locally in Sedona, uh, building in Phoenix and Tucson, the distribution method for us is often um, direct. And so we have a, a facility in Flagstaff. We have a warehouse in Phoenix. We direct distribute to 90% of our client base through those two methods. We also utilize FedEx 
as well as to hit clients that are in places like uh, Mammoth Caves in Kentucky or uh, Noto Sandwich Shop in Iowa, um, Fort George Brewery in Astoria, Oregon. We can FedEx our products directly to them and hit really almost, you know, I'd say 80% of the country. And so now we're at the stage where, well, we've worked with some distributors and we, and we work with some today. We're looking at what is our growth uh, opportunity? Because, again, if you followed me there, not only do I have a, a distance to get to Phoenix and, and Vegas, but they're also isolated in the desert. So we have to get frozen product to you know, other distribution hubs throughout the country. And that becomes um, you know, where this is obviously the most prevalent um, element in my mind as we continue to grow and we continue to ship more direct. We're also looking for the right connections um, you know, that clearly exist in the food system today to help us drive the product forward in other regions. So you're isolated in the desert selling frozen products. Isn't that cool? Is that uh, what I'm hearing? <laughs> and, and, you know, you think that a mechanical you, engineer would have put himself in this position, right? You um, just wanted a triple challenge on top of everything else. It, it could be the hardest place potentially to have tried to do what we are, we're doing, but we believe that just means that everything that we grow into from here will be a lot easier. Right. Well, you, you know, you've proven the model and now as you move into bigger markets, frankly, you're going to get into areas where distribution is going to be you know, easier to access. But on top of that, you'll have better access to talent. And obviously you're going to need talent as you, uh, as you kind of grow and, and build your business and add salespeople and kind of, you know, get out in front of those um, customers. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about your, what I would call your superpower. You, you've talked about this ability to kind of understand kind of where the market is headed, but at the same time, then you've got to figure out what products that's going to relate into. You're also, you, you manage your staff quite well. What has really enabled you to be successful? What are some of these superpowers that you're using that other people listening to this podcast can say, hey, I can take that back. I can use that myself, you know, in my daily work in the food and beverage space. You know, see, these are, like I said, those tremendously provoking questions that, you know, they take you back a little <laughs> bit sometimes too. And, <laughs> and I got to say that, that I was, I was um, well read enough to have, have, have found a, a self-help book that said, you know what? One of the things you should do is write a letter to your 10 closest friends, people who know you the best, and ask them what your unique ability is, what your superpower is. And I did this uh, a couple times throughout my life. Uh, once for myself, once when I was about to have a child, I wrote them all and said, hey, what am I not thinking about that you guys who have had a child already are thinking about, that, I, that you wish you did, you know? And you get those golden nuggets from doing this. And as it relates to my superpower, my closest, oldest friend said to me, you have this ability to see through the questions, to develop the questions, to see the problems that will ensue and identify them long before they happen. And I took that to heart. And at the same time, I didn't realize when he went for, for many years, unfortunately, that this was, was truly also my greatest fault. And the opportunity that sat within all of the problems I was finding was not my focus, but the problems were. And the was that that operational analysis, that situation analysis paralysis that you couldn't move? You know, analysis paralysis can come into play, but I had gotten over that um, to a certain degree. But I think it, it, it even more so than than preventing me from move, it might have caused me to move too much, to pivot too fast, to pivot too quickly. And that you have to explain to that. I, I'm not tracking with you because that sounds like a good thing to be able well, to do is to see through a problem to see what could happen. But w where was that an Achilles heel? The Achilles heel is in whether you've seen the problem through fully or not before you pivoted away from it. So could we have driven down a few roads a little bit further and and not turned off and found some success earlier versus, um, you know, seeing what we thought was an imminent danger, uh, a, a too large of a wall or otherwise, and not seeing the right path through or around it because we didn't go. Got forward. it. Got it. You're talking about seeing a potential roadblock. So, I mean, it, frankly, that sounds like 
very wise counsel, right? Don't go down a, a dead end. But you're saying that later in life, you, what if I didn't it know wasn't it wasn't a dead, a dead end? end. It wasn't a dead end. Well, so how do you sort that out? I mean, how do you, I mean, <laughs> well, so what's your takeaway from that? Your shift is you go from, well, you, you stop being a pessimist and you focus on becoming an optimist and you look for those opportunities in each of those roadblocks. You say, oh, there's a whole bunch of wood I can take and turn it into something else sitting in the middle of the road. Great. And, and you, you, you build a bridge with that wood that was a roadblock over the bump in the road and you keep moving. And occasionally, you know, you do see something that you say, no, I really don't see any ways around this and we need to take a strong pivot. But what we learned from getting this far down the road means that maybe we just need, you know, that new type of asphalt or that, 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 that special new digger to get over this hole and we'll be able to go after this channel again when we're ready. And uh, I think that's really the, the clarity that's come and is, is that if you can see those, those opportunities in the roadblocks and um, bring your unique products, skills, and talent um, to help you address and uh, reshape the road. So do you have a, a, like a team of people that you then work with to analyze and look at these kind of future roadblocks or problems, or is this kind of left to you, the entrepreneur to sort that out? Cause I would think that would be, well, if, if I was in that position, I think that would be challenging. I would always be seeking outside counsel. I like to brainstorm and get other people involved. So what's, what's worked for you? Do you use a team of people to analyze this or do you kind of internalize it all yourself? You know, we, we, we absolutely use a team of people. We've had some great mentors, you know, identify us over the years and reach out to us and say, you know, interested in your business from this level or that. And um, I just came from a meeting this morning where we were addressing specifically, you know, the geographical um, roadblocks and opportunities to uh, approaching new markets as it relates to the distribution channels. And leveraging um, not only my operations team, but a mentor that has logistics experience outside of the food realm, it can really point out some of these unique opportunities that other people might not be thinking about. And so I really rely on, on a board that I'm actually building um, a, a few additional people onto at this point, uh, looking for some special expertise and um, in, uh, in food distribution, for one. Um, and that's why it's been a hot topic today for us as, as well, the uh, opportunity where uh, I've got just great and wonderful mentors that are willing to take a call at any time from people who've run, you know, food advertising and magazines um, to people that have, have successfully exited four or five businesses they've grown from the bottom up themselves. And I think that's where it really helps to, to take those roadblocks and turn them into opportunities is to have people who've you know, made a, made a living out of, uh, of doing it habitually. Well, it sounds like you definitely have identified distribution as one of your roadblocks, but I think you've also touched on one of the other elements that has come up quite a bit on the podcast. And that is the, the right usage of a mentor. So you've seeked out outside counsel of an expert. The, uh, the, you know, we've been very fortunate, as I've said, to have some people come out of the woodwork to us and have other connections um, that have made sense, but you are, you know, to, to point out we're, we're in it in a, in a very, the, the town I live in, in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, which many people would, might remember if they've been to the, Van, the Grand Canyon, um, doesn't have sprawl. It doesn't have, you know, uh, a, a variety of other manufacturers and so forth, or food businesses really to, to be party to. So especially during COVID without travel, um, you know, the phone, the Zoom, the reaching out to, to past and present mentors, um, has been absolutely critical, and, and 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 I'm so grateful to all the people out there that are so wonderfully giving of their time and knowledge, and so willing to to have those conversations, whether I listened to them and took their advice last time or not, um, to keep following forward and and you know keeping up with us. Going back to the challenges, though, I can imagine if you have a and you do, you've got a a really nice um, you know high end substitute here for for hamburgers. Do you find that you're in a situation where you're having to educate your customer? Because that can get awfully expensive, right? So 
when a customer looks at your product, they say, hey, is this too healthy? I mean, I see everything in my hamburger. I mean, people are just used to just eating a, a brown patty. <laughs> they don't think anything of it. And then now they've got your um, uh, really natural, you know, organic product. Um, do you find that's kind of a, a, a been a challenge in, in plant-based food is this, um, you know, having to educate the customer? You know, um, depends on which customer you're talking about. So it sounds to me as if you're talking about the person who's eating the product, right? And the person who's eating the product, well, they had to make a decision to get that far in the first place. And it's not typically the person who's looking for uh, the satiation from meat that looks to order our product. And most of our restaurants wouldn't wouldn't say that, you know, it might be a meat analog in the sense that it sits on the same bun, but it's not a, a, a meat, a replacement for the meat that's out there, a substitute, but it's not a meat replicant. And it's never presented in that way because it's not its intention that we're trying to get people to believe that they're eating something they're not, right? That's the, the that's the outspoken deception of the, the, the products that are. They, yes, telling you, that... We want you to believe it's something else. That's right. not a, ever the goal with a chef using our product. Okay, I appreciate you bringing that distinction up because most of the times when I see a plant-based food, it's a substitute for something else. Like it's... Well, it is a substitute. It replaces it on, on the bun. It fits in the same spot and that same price point and the reality is you can use a lot of the same toppings, right? So it does substitute or replace it with a plant-based version, a plant-based economy to it. But the goal isn't that it tastes like something else than it is. It's goal that it's the best version of what it is. And that is a combination of wonderful whole foods that you probably have eaten during the course of the last week anyways, just not in this form. Did you have a bowl of oatmeal? Did you did you eat a salad with with some you know carrots and onions in it? Uh, did, maybe there were some toasted sunflower seeds on it. I mean, you've eaten everything that's in our food that week, most likely, just not in a formable, shapeable product that can be utilized in the same fashion as a sausage link, a meatball, a burger, or a, a taco ground. Yeah. No. No, it's good. Well, it's good because I I talk to potential customers and and clients, and I've had people come to me recently. And I even reached out to you because there was a a client looking for a you know a substitute for fish. And again, they're looking as plant based to kind of take a swap, right? Like they've got this menu item and they're holding it in the right hand, and in their left hand they're taking a plant based product and they're just like okay close your eyes quick boom now look <laughs> it's it looks just like the hamburger or it just lo it looks like sushi and yet it's got this plant-based form so yeah, what you're talking about is so, yeah you, you know you, you hit the nail honestly on the head but but i've never had it come to me with a negative connotation and that was i love this product because i can see what it's made of I can see whole beans and whole seeds and whole carrots and whole kale. I can really see the food in this product. I know what it's made of. And going back to that notion that local actually equals transparent, equals food integrity, equals whole food, all these things are kind of grouped together without any real definition. They're, they're more natural, but they're more wholesome. That is seeing the real food in the patty. And when you chop it up, getting the beauty of all these little, you know, the, the, the beauty of a whole food value, but in a form that's as versatile and easy to use as ground meat. Yeah. And not to make that a negative connotation, I think that would just be a, <laughs> I think it's good. I think you're right. You can see it's it. our number right? one compliment. When you said it, I was like, that's an interesting way to view it. But that's what we hear more often from all the people who reach out and want to tell us they love our product is I love that I could see the whole food in it. Yeah, I guess um, uh, I, I, I guess you kind of called me out on that because I'm I'm in that transitional phase of you know I'm transitioning I'm trying to use more of the plant based foods so sometimes my wife will surprise me with something and, and you know 
I, I'm what, getting what better. What are you at finding it. in trying these things? Are you know what? What's your experience with them from both a taste perspective as well as a how does it sit afterwards? Do you get good energy? Does it you know some of them didn't didn't sit very long? Um, have been my you know some of the challenges we've seen in the marketplace. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, definitely, you know, you it can't just be a one off. You know, you have to kind of stick with it a little bit longer. But definitely, like a cleaner energy. The thing that stands out to me more than anything. It's just textural. I'm still getting getting used to the texture of some of these things. I'm just, you know, you grow up on steak and potatoes and then you realize, hey, it'd be nice to transition to something else. You know, you're just having to get used to a different texture. So that's been the big, yeah. you know, if, if issue. I have one argument myself that, you know, I, I, I'm not a, you know, we all are our coopetition in the, in the plant-based space today. It's a small universe and it still represents a, 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 a very small portion of the overall, you know, multi-trillion-dollar food market. Um, but if I had one real challenge with the plant-based world out there, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure that the right path is to be manipulating the ingredients with the goal of continuing to have people satiate themselves with meat if the end goal is to not have the meat-based economy. I see your and, point. Right? And so, I see your point. It's like you're presenting it to make it look like meat, right? It needs, so what you're saying, it should be like a different form altogether. Isn't that what you're saying? It should be plated in a different form or a different presentation well, is, it, is it, if if we're attempting to get people to not want to consume as much meat and when accessible to them there's an option that's you know made out of out of plant-based oils and, and isolates and so forth it's a plant-based product it's not a meat product but it keeps the appetite for meat it's attempting to satiate the same uh, oral and and uh, uh, olfactory uh, emotional senses right and so what, what you're doing is you're preserving yes. the, the, the reality I see where you're going with that. in right. the diet. And if we're attempting to move people's desire for meat away from animals, my belief and approach to this challenge, uh, which is very much so a sustainability approach as well, is to say, hey, I know that when I stop eating meat, I lose a taste for it. Now, I myself, I was actually more of a cheese lover than anything else, and it did not do well for me. And years ago when I gave up cheese, I also gave up the, the appetite for being satiated by sort of that, that hard yet luscious sort of fat that you can bite into in a, in a cube of cheddar or something. I don't, after years, I don't crave it anymore. I don't have a desire to throw cheese on everything. Like I, I used to eat cheese as my primary protein. And so I, the, I believe the same is very true, whether it be meat, eggs, or any other animal product. If you're, if you're maintaining the appetite for it, you're maintaining the appetite for it. If we want to remove it fundamentally from the economy and, and change the way it fits into the economy, maybe, um, then maybe we should look at it through the lens of shouldn't we satiate with something that actually does meet uh, a different set of values. So do you think this is a, for lack of a better word, an addiction, if you will? Because you're right. You, you Once you give it up, eventually you do stop craving it. And it's that way with sugar too. It is. And it's true of almost any of the these, you know, refined ingredients and, um, you know, oils, sugars, and so forth. And there's a lot of science out there and, you know, that's – the details of that science isn't really where I spend my energy. I understand it very clearly. And I think that that is, is, is exactly that. There's an addiction associated. And, it, you know, one of them is one of the most innovative things out there in, in, in the food world in the past few years has been this specific notion that we could make plants that, that turned into a meat-like substance. And from a specific plant element, we could satiate the mouth feel and as well as the emotional response to iron that would otherwise come from meat, right? And so this is the HEMA protein that Impossible Burgers put in to their product and became known for and have you know, patented, I believe. 
And so that becomes the question again, is was the, should the goal have been to turn the soybean into, you know, the beauty of soy, or should it be to use the soybean to satiate people's appetite for meat? I'm not saying I have the answer to the question for everyone, but I have, you know, a difference in opinion than, than let's keep going down the path of, of meat. And this is a, a marketing marvel and an absolutely amazing thing that's been done to move into the fake meat market and to, to create this marketplace. It's, it's brilliant, but does it solve for the end game? And from the two things that we've talked about, whole food being the lowest footprint and moving people away from the desire for meat, I think that those are the things that I kind of founded my products on and the principles that we believe in and the manufacturing processes that we've developed specifically to convert 100% whole foods into these types of versatile usable products. We've taken a different path and um, we see there's a market for both without question. We sit side by side on menus with beef, chicken, pork, fake meat, fake chicken, and our whole food proteins. And we wouldn't be sitting side by side if we weren't selling at least as much as the other products. Well, you're clearly passionate about this industry and the product and the food that you're making and impacting people's lives through whole foods. So how much effort do you spend in trying to identify either distributors that are catering to those people or are trying to identify restaurants who are attracting those types of people? Because that would seem to be the the trick is to, you know, activate those people so they can pull that product through. Indeed. It's, it's a, it's a bunch of our time. Do you headhunt for that, Tony? Is that, is that where, <laughs> where we can go I wasn't, I, I wasn't fishing for that. I wasn't <laughs> no, fishing but for I that. Use but, it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the, that's really the nuanced side of, of being a headhunter, right? I, we have to create solutions for the customer. So that's our, if that's a problem, then I have to go out and find it. So I have to identify, uh, you know, salespeople that have maybe sold into that market, or maybe who already know those distributors. So that would be an element added into a search. You know, our, our, our belief is that the greatest impact we can have is through exclusively whole food. We've done the, the science and the data to prove that we'll actually be releasing some white papers and some other content, um, you know, uh, from third parties in the next few months that, that show some of that as well. And, um, I believe that, that there, there's lots of companies out there in the, having similar challenges. We believe that the impact is most scalable for us through the larger volume opportunities. And so we didn't focus on consumer products, goods, but it focused on food service where we want to see people buying, you know, hundreds of portions at a time, as opposed to a couple. And really seeing that 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 escalation, and um, finding the right distributors that not only work in food service but work in food service with with companies that that are premised on quality or local um, or whole food, that's uh, they they absolutely exist. And so aligning with those partners, I think, is is really what we're uh, is our actionable call out today that we're we're very focused on. Right. And that, so if you were to ask me to go find that, that's what we would do. We, you would have, we, we had to go out and find a salesperson who has experience, you know, opening up, you know, that, that marketplace. Right. Um, brokers sounds like it, that are already aligned with it. Distributors are aligned with it. Brokers and or, right. Yeah. And I don't know if it would be, you know, I'm not sure it'd be a broad line distributor. I, that they sound too generic to me. I think you're going to go, I, I'm guessing you're going to be a little more specific with kind of unique distributors? Well, there are, you know, we're with interest from extremely large companies that are really uh, beyond our, our current scale. Um, you know, we weren't designed to flip over to contract manufacturing instantaneously. We're building the path to be able to, to handle them. And so I think that there's a, a variety of different levels of distributors you're pointing out. And depending on, uh, you know, who the clients work with that really want to pull the product through, I think we'll start to see that the, the right thing is to go pocket by pocket, um, you know, regionally. Well, as we wrap up here, we, we're going to talk a little bit about talent, but why don't we use this opportunity? Is there a, are, are there 
people, are there skill sets, are there um, professionals out there that you would like to attract to your company or have them, you know, reach out and, and connect with you for future opportunities? This is a, a good opportunity to just to put a, a general call out. You know, I think there's, there's, you know, the opportunity to work with us from perspective of a uh, great packaging designer that really under, uh, understands the difference in um, the footprint that we currently have and that that needs to extend into packaging, as well as, um, you know, with, um, with our growth, we're certainly bringing in more and more labor. And the more labor we bring in to make product leads to more um, technical management and production and operations, um, being that we're in such a remote place like Flagstaff, um, as you and I have talked, I'm actually putting myself back into that position because it's easier to hire for other positions. Um, and I think other than, than that, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're in this, this interim, you know, we're just in a, are we post COVID? Are we not post COVID? Um, <laughs> we're having record breaking months sequentially, but it's still hard to say, you know, what's going to go on, um, over the rest of the year. And, you know, from that perspective, the other partners that we're looking for are the people that have great marketing engines of them of their own, whether it's through their brick and mortar restaurant and they need the right product to attack the plant-based world, or it's people who are out there marketing product through e-marketplaces and they're looking for that differentiated product in the plant-based space that, you know, is validated. And so I think that it's, it's really a lot of the marketing, sales, and distribution um, that uh, we're looking for the right alignment, the right partners. Sooner it sounds now. like a really exciting time. There's so many different avenues you can go. You can go, you know, you can supply into ghost kitchens and virtual kitchens and all these companies that just want to start up. And you can just be that that perfect addition to you know what to whatever proteins they're looking to add. Uh, Jonathan, this is just been a great conversation. I know we, we took lots of uh, twists and turns on this conversation, but it's just a fascinating industry. And you as a, as an entrepreneur and, and the, the business owner, you know, you're touching so many different aspects of the business. I just, I just had to look at some of these different facets and just kind of the things that you're dealing with. And it sounds like it's the, the classic struggle of, of an entrepreneur. You know, you, you could probably do everything yourself. You just can't clone five of you. That's what you need. You know, imparting that, you know, I've got great team. Um, we've got some vested players on the team and people really, you know, step up, learn new skills and fill in those gaps. And I think, you know, as you said, being able to find more people that are willing to take it on their back at the same time as building systems so that they can, you know, keep the business moving forward. It, it's challenging. Um, but uh, we'll look forward to the opportunity to, to need to do that again soon. Well, we'll have a follow-up episode one of these days, and we're just going to see just uh, what wonderful unfoldment we've had. And here I am on—I'm in Atlanta, so I've—I've I've already put the flag on the ground. I said I—I <laughs> I can't go to Kentucky. That's too far. <laughs> we got to get you into Atlanta. It's a hotbed of vegetarianism here. We're, we're excited and looking forward to the opportunity. We just got to find the right, the right chain that needs a pallet a month there, and we're good. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, we'll talk offline. Maybe I know a couple. Perfect, um, perfect. Jonathan, thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tony.